0: All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode. If you just found the show, I'm Helen. I'm a women's empowerment coach, meditation teacher, behavior change specialist. And we are here talking about all things consciousness and well-being and what it means to be human. Uh, right here, right now. (laughs) Kind of crazy. So I'm really excited to bring you another awesome conversation today. Uh, It's very much in line and in theme with a lot of what I've been experiencing on a personal level recently. We are just going through a Jupiter-Neptune conjunction, by the way, which if you're listening on this Wednesday, like we're right in the, the midst of. It's such an intense cosmic portal. It's one that is just meant to be very lucky and quite auspicious. It hasn't happened for over 200 years in this placement. So check that out. Research the Jupiter-Neptune situation if you're curious about the astrology of these times, because like life has just been going extremely fast over on my end. So I'm really setting the intention to slow down. And if I feel like I'm approaching any kind of burnout, literally just wipe my schedule in whatever way I can to make more room for slowness and stillness and playfulness. So that's what I did over the weekend. I was just noticing like a, it was going, to, life was going too fast for me. So I was like, let me just take a day. I walked around Abbot Kinney, got some ice cream, did a little shopping, did a little walking, people watching, and just really slowed down. And it completely reset the week ahead uh, that we're in now. And it just feels really good. It's so necessary. And ultimately, it does make us more productive when we can slow down like that. And also, I just invested in my first business coach ever, so I'm really excited about that, and it's so in alignment with today's conversation with uh, Claire Wasserman. So, let me tell you about her and what we're going to be getting into in this episode today. So, we are talking about women in business, theming and cultivating your days, and we're talking about money. So, Claire Wasserman is an educator, author, and founder of Ladies Get Paid, which is an educational platform, global community, and a book that champions the. Prof- professional and financial advancement of women. She holds a master's certificate in behavioral finance and financial psychology, and she's the host of the John Hancock podcast, Friends Who Talk About Money. Claire has traveled the country teaching thousands of women how to negotiate millions of dollars in raises, start businesses, and advocate for themselves in the workplace. So I think you guys are going to get a lot out of this discussion today, especially my ladies out there. And I think it's really important that we break past that self-limiting boundary of talking about money as taboo or, you know, anything like that and really open up the doors to prosperity, to confidence, to knowing our worth. And really stepping into that highest version of ourselves when it comes to money Uh, and really, you know, rewiring our beliefs around money being, you know, bad or greedy or anything like that. and, And reframing that into, you know, financial wellness and financial health and deservingness and knowing that we can have anything that we believe we are worthy of. So that's on that. Enjoy this episode. Let us know what you think. Uh, while you're listening, you can find me on Instagram at Helen Denham underscore and at the lifted podcast. And you can find Claire on Instagram at Claire gets paid. So enjoy. We'd love to hear from you. Talk to you on the flip side. All right, Claire. Well, the first question I love to kick off with is how do you like to start your days off? Do you have any rising routines or rituals that you go to?
1: I do. I do. So I like to get up early. Um, and definitely need coffee. <laughs> uh, coffee, and then I sit outside of my balcony and I I journal. Um, usually writing about the things that have been going well, the things that I want to work on, what I'm grateful for, uh, and then I play with my cat. I like to start the day just you know having a having fun and being silly. <laughs>
0: Love that. Yeah. It's, I find that it's been a really beautiful practice to acknowledge actively, like what is going well in our life? I think for a lot of women, like professional women, especially it's like, how do we move the needle forward? Like every day, but it's really nice to look back on what, what are you proud of yourself for right now? What's been going well for you?
1: And also noticing if that's a difficult question to answer, right? So if, if you were to ask yourself what's not going well versus what's going well, you know, if you're answering if it's difficult, then that's a good question to say, all right, how do I get smaller? So that, that's my, so it's like, okay, what's been going well? Well, the weather's been nice. Okay. Well, I've been journaling, you know, I've been focused, yeah, committed, you know, so it's like just finding no matter how small those things do add up.
0: Mm-hmm. hundred percent. Did you start doing that recently or did you have a moment where you were like, I need to have a routine in the morning. That's just for me. Like what, what was that for you? Yeah, I've, I've
1: cycled through. You know, I used to do the five minute journal, so really focused on gratitude. Um, I go through phases. Uh, this I've been pretty consistent with. I would say for the last at least three months, maybe six months. But yeah, it did come from like a man. I need to center myself because I am definitely that person who gets up and goes straight into the emailing. That being said, I the reason I do like to get up early is that makes me feel like I'm being as sort of proactive with my day as possible. Um, And, and also knowing that if I've like worked my butt off for like four hours in the morning and it's been really productive, then yeah, go take an hour nap. So I don't want to, you know, this whole, like, don't get up and go straight to your emails. You know, that also has worked for me too. (laughs) Uh, So I, but right now I'm in this season of like, let's start the day centered. And and like I said, you know, playing with my cat, (laughs) just like throwing things around, running around. I, I actually find that probably more better way to set up my day than anything else.
0: makes a lot of sense because you start off your day like joyful and happy and you set the tone for the rest of what's going to happen so i'm curious about like what a typical day in the life looks like for you Mm, okay
1: well things are shifting uh because now we're sort of emerging from our pandemic um i i've been theming my days this is relatively new so i love an alliteration so monday motivation for motivation monday that's, uh, you know, taking care, it's usually like sort of setting up for the week, taking care of, you know, emails. Um, uh, tedious Tuesday or to-do list Tuesday, uh, that is just like crossing things off my list. Usually that quote, like eat the frog, right? Like the things I sort of don't wanna do, I force myself. Writing Wednesdays, okay. I block out my calendar, I have an out of office uh, and that is to write every, you know, all my blogs, et cetera. Um, Thursday, what am I doing on Thursday? I mean, that's my meetings and podcast day. Um, Maybe we're calling it like thrilling Thursdays, how about that? Uh, And then filming Fridays. Uh, So my days, it used to be kind of a mix of whatever, you know, putting out fires. Now it's like, usually most things can wait. And so if I know that there's a designated day, I also work in sort of four hour increments and I'm pretty committed to taking an hour nap every day. Uh, but some, you know, it's like some of those days I'm spending out of the house and, you know, it is what it is. But for me, my brain, which I feel like I'm tend to be all over the place. It's like if I can theme both the day of the week, but also like what time of day and, and what my energy is, that has been very helpful for me.
0: So cool. Yeah. It sounds like, are you doing like a lot of batch creating at the same time, like just kind of getting all of these things done in big chunks?
1: Yeah. I mean, I I look at, you know, where do I do my best creative work? Right. So if that's going to be in the morning in a given day, like try to do that work upfront. But because I'm theming my days now, I used to be like doing stuff at a certain time of day. But now it's, you know, if I'm trying to do like tedious spreadsheet stuff and then switch gears into like writing a blog article, even if I've divided up the day, Somehow I'm still, you know, I also tend to procrastinate. So being like, this is the day that I do it. There is no other day I'm writing this blog article, forces me, I also had an accountability coach saying, you know, get everything done by 3.30 and then you're done for the day. Mm. Like, do you really need that much more time or are you just like perpetually kicking the can? Now, I don't, I don't do that. I work past 3.30, but knowing that that could be a cutoff date for me that or time makes me feel proud of myself if I extend beyond that. So shout out to Kida, successfully. She's, she's fantastic. And she's been, yeah, like I said, that kind of accountability coach for me.
0: I love hearing you say that because it's just, it's, I think it's necessary for women to hear that you don't have to work yourself into the ground, like from sunup till sundown, like you can do spurts of like productivity and have maybe a super productive day in the course of one hour, if you focus really intentionally.
1: And you know, your priorities every morning and every evening, when I start and end my day, I I look at my priorities. I have like three to four that I need to get done. And sometimes that changes. Um, but I think, I mean, I live and die by my, both my to-do list, my priorities, and my calendar, if it's not on there, it's not happening.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So writing it down, is really important. Yes. How many things do you like limit yourself to on a to-do list? So I used to have pretty long to-do list and then I realized I
1: was really um, underestimating how long something might actually take me. So if I was only going off of did I, how many things did I cross off? Well, then I would always be disappointed because maybe one or two of those things took the whole day. So actually it's really about how in depth, you know, especially if there's a learning curve, right? Like it might take me half a day to send out an email but because it's a new platform that we're using. Mm So, um, but I, I try, you know, give or take always make it less than you think Mm -hmm. and then have, you know, it's like, all right, I would love to get done these four things, but here are the two that I definitely have to do. And maybe it does take all day. And if it doesn't, then like you can add your third and fourth one as a reward.
0: <laughs> yes. Cool. I'll, I could talk with you forever about productivity hacks. I get so excited about yes, them, I do too. Yeah, I, I struggle with them, but I get excited about them. Yeah. Well, I'd love to journey back with you a little bit. I will have given a bit of an introduction about who you are and what you're up to, but I'd love to hear about like your upbringing and your journey into this, you know, career that you've so beautifully built and everything. What's your journey been like? How do I say this in a short amount of time?
1: You're like, girl, I will edit this. Uh, <laughs> I So I was born in New York City. We left when I was nine, but I was basically an adult by then. Um, I had been briefly, briefly in a Broadway musical. My mom was in the opera. I used to be in the opera, uh, you know, it was a little uh, in the children's choir. So I was like, you know, this little Again, like a little adult, uh, moved to LA for a year, because um, my parents split, my mom had moved to DC, but I moved to LA with my dad and my brothers, lived there for a year. Uh, my dad stayed in LA for the next at least 12 years, but I ended up moving in fifth grade to be with my mom. Um, so DC, you know, I always give like the three cities, because I feel like I am of those three cities very much. I mean, yes, my area code on my phone is 202, so I guess it's DC. Um, And, um, you know, really active in theater, actually lived in France for six months. My junior year, I lived in a small village uh, on the border of Germany, I was an exchange student. So that was very formative. Also, it really showed me that I'm a chameleon, you know, and I like being uncomfortable. and finding commonalities with people. You know, I was the first American a lot of people had met. Ended up going to Boston University. So, went to, you know, lived in Boston for college and then moved to New York in 2009. You know, the minute I graduated, I was like, I am going back to New York. I think I had felt that way when we moved. When I was nine years old, it was like, I'll be back. And was there for the next 12 years, and now I'm, you know, in L.A. So, I, I've i been rotating back to my childhood, I guess you could say. <laughs>
0: Awesome. So, what started to spark your interest and your curiosity about money and women making money and getting comfortable talking about money? Like, when did you start to really get curious about that and start to talk about it?
1: It took a very sexist experience for me to, to get into this. So, I had gotten into a lot of credit card debt um, after graduation. I had no idea how credit cards worked. You know, I thought if I paid the minimum, like that, no, no, I, no, I didn't know what interest was, any of that. Um, I also had student loans. So I had had experience with money and crushing debt, but it did not make me want to learn more or even take command. It was like, oh, and I talk about kicking the can. I mean, it was like really an, a, a rough time. Um, fast forward, I was working in advertising for a company called Working Not Working, WorkingNotWorking.com. So it's a professional network, mostly freelancers and advertising, connecting based on availability. And I had worked at a nonprofit that was similar to that beforehand, so I was in the recruitment space and was interested in people getting jobs, right? But not particularly women. wasn't you know It was. Just, I didn't have. I didn't consider myself a feminist. Okay, didn't know what that word meant. To be clear, I went to the south of France for an advertising festival, very fancy. I walk in. This older guy comes up to me and is like, "Hello, now who's are you?" I was like, "Oh." got it. And it was like a full week of just not being taken seriously, being objectified. Here's the thing. Instead of being like, fuck these people, it was, did I cause this? Any of those interactions where I felt uncomfortable, you know, cause there was some sort of gender power dynamic here. It was like, was I, you know, dressed too, you know, my skirt was too short. Was I too friendly? And when I went home after that week, it was just, This exhaustion I felt realizing how much I'd contorted myself to try to be what I felt A, others needed me to be, but B, we needed clients. So it's not like you can tell people to F off. I mean, I guess you could, but if you need their business, right? Again, that contortionism. Fast forward, ended up writing an essay, didn't publish it, but shared it with some friends, just kind of looking back at my career and all of these experiences that I'd had, some really sexist, but didn't call it out. And some, you know, just these kind of, quote, microaggressions. But that word, didn't know what that word meant. Um, 2000, this was 2015, I think. Now I started to research. I remember Googling women, the wage gap, the workplace inequality, I sort of laugh now. We all talk about it now. You read about it. But nobody in 2015 was really, it was like, do people know how far from equality that we are in when it comes to the wage gap, the leadership gap, investing gap funding gap, I mean it was like worse and worse as I kept reading, and I just got overwhelmed because, as an individual, you know what can you do to combat these things that are systemic right and, and overwhelming and it really wasn 't until a friend who had recently, you know she came to me, she was like i she was real art director, very good, but realized she was charging so much less than her male counterparts, and so my aha moment was ah negotiating your salary raising your rates that was a way that as an individual at least you could try to close your own gaps you could take command right and hosted a town hall for women to come and talk about money i picked that format uh a because it was leading up to the 2016 presidential election this was something i'd been hearing about these candidates were doing and i felt like a subject as sensitive as money really merited a kind of peer to peer sharing as opposed to these quote experts. Right. And that, you know, before you can really learn, you need to get comfortable just saying, you've got questions about it, being vulnerable about it. And a hundred women came to this town hall and it was unreal. It was just this energy of women. Again, you read about it. Now we're having this podcast conversation, but 2015 not happening. And it was out of that town hall that I realized there was so much more to talk about and long story short created a slack group and it was looking at the way people were interacting on slack that i could see what the business model would be which was workshops it split the ticket prices with you know finding career coaches money coaches um and we were off to the races so the fact that we're still in business you know Good good on us, but I'm also very grateful for the community because they've kept us going. And we're now at 55,000 women in that Slack group that I originally started. We've been transitioning to a new platform, but you know how many messages they've exchanged? 2 million. Oh my Two gosh. 2 million. And it started with 100 women in New York. Now we've got all 50 states and 120 countries represented. And it's obviously gone beyond money. Money yeah. is just, you know, it's a tool. It's mm-hmm. a tool. But that's, you know, it's really, we're talking about value and power. And freedom
0: wow claire oh my gosh well i'm remembering i was um i was with UN women the chair of their uh yp young professionals committee and i remember the first day there uh, we were all just exchanging like ideas like who's inspiring us right now any books you recommend and you were like a household name in that room
1: really were, oh, oh yes thanks.
0: yes yes they were like you have got to look up claire like um and just watch her and pay attention to her And that was really a space for us all to, to kind of exchange those ideas. And I think that you had like this kind of subconscious inspiration in there to get us comfortable talking about the harder topics. So Mm -hmm. I just think it's so cool. And I think it's so necessary um, to bring it up because for some reason it's been like a taboo subject to talk about money and people get shy and scared. So Okay. So I want to ask you a couple more questions too about like the workplace. So if you find out that you, your male counterpart, for example, or anybody really is making more than you doing the same job, how do you approach that? Like, how do you even begin to start to navigate like what to do about that?
1: Yeah. Well, first collect information, right? So make sure that you fully understand um, what's called pay band. Okay. So everybody's paid a certain range, which means some people may be getting paid more on that range and that's kind of on a number of things uh, it could be their background you know maybe they brought clients with them um, maybe they were poached you know they were working for an impressive company before and in order to sort of entice them to join this new company they were given more money um, maybe they have you know they have things that you're not even aware of Does it make it right? I don't know but we need to collect that information first perhaps they're making more because they negotiated harder. You know, perhaps they're making more of sexism, right? (laughs) There's a number of things here. Also, want to make sure that you are even, you know, where you fall on the pay band. I would talk to people that you don't even know, reach out on LinkedIn, white men who work at companies that are similar to yours, who do similar things to you. So, yes, understand how compensation is determined at your current company, but also just see what's in the market in general. Because, like I said before, maybe this person's being paid more because they came from a company. That they you know needed to be enticed away from. So understanding kind of like the competition out there is, is also good, and maybe you'll end up needing to get an offer from somebody else in order to get paid more where you currently are. It's a gamble, right? It's like you have to handle that carefully. But do your research. Um, then I would really try to understand how does the company make money, uh, how they're doing financially because the best case that you can make for a raise is demonstrating that you have had a quantifiable impact on the business bottom line, which could mean you need to be pivoting. See where the company is growing, where are they investing in, where is the industry growing? If you align yourself with that and you contribute work in that way, you will have way more opportunity, okay? So perhaps you need to be raising your hand for, you know, with ideas. Oftentimes women, you know, do kind of the unglamorous behind the scenes work that doesn't get them FaceTime with clients, right? Or with people, you know, of influence of the company. Well, those are the folks who are gonna be advocating on your behalf. So maybe this is an opportunity to develop more strategic relationships, this is a three hundred and sixty thing. Is kind of what I'm saying. It's not just this person's making more; you better pay me more. It's like there's take your time, do your research, build those alliances, and come with an open mind. Ask the questions of I'd love to understand why why this is. I'd love to understand how compensation is determined. You know, to get a better sense and how I can make those next steps. You know that I'm growing here. I'm becoming a leader. Um, if you come in guns blazing, you're gonna them on the defense gotta be careful about that because women when we you know are assertive we can be perceived as aggressive, particularly women of color. So it's not that you don't say anything you just be very, um, I would say, strategic and diplomatic, Uh, but again, perhaps maybe you need to be getting offers elsewhere if it's an egregious gap, because sometimes you're just in a place where it's not going to happen.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for that advice. It's so good. And I think it has clearly a lot to do with confidence, right? Also being willing to ask for what you know that you're worth at some point. So I guess the next thing to lead into is when you're getting a new job, um, you're stepping into like a big career for the first time. Like I have a good, my sister is stepping into her newest oh. career for the first time. So she got an offer and she was like, this is not what I expected. I wanted it to be higher, but I'm scared to ask them for more because they're going to just drop me so that was a thing and it's kind of the same question like how do you how do you handle that like if you know that they're they should be paying you like ten thousand dollars more a year how do you approach that without like being afraid that they're gonna just take back their offer all right my friends popping in for a moment to chat with you about my one-on-one mentorship offering so this is a private intimate one-on-one series with me for seven weeks and it's all about changing a habit and really working toward a specific goal that you have. So within these seven weeks, we are, of course, covering habit and routine formation, goal identification and attainment planning, EFT tapping for confidence, guided visualization meditations that are, you know, personalized for you, energy clearing rituals, and you're also going to get support from me via text and email throughout the week. So this is a really amazing opportunity to really up level, show that love and honor and respect for yourself and really take it to the next level. So if you are someone who has been struggling with overcoming a particular habit or a pattern in behavior, this might be the perfect opportunity and container for you to really break through that and bring into reality that highest self that you've been calling in for so long so head over to helenedenham.com mentorship and you can book a call with me and i'll walk you through what to expect we can get to know each other really looking forward to getting to know you more deeply and thanks for listening back to the show
1: well listen however the relationship is interaction during the interview process and the negotiation process that is the way the relationship is going to be. So if you are in a situation where you don't feel like you're being, you know, treated with, um, in, you know, if you're like living in fear here, like perhaps this is not the right company. And if they were to reneg, I and mean, you don't want to work there anyway, that doesn't take away, like, listen, all of this is privilege. The ability to stand up, ask for what you're worth. And you know, the strength of a negotiator is one who is able and willing to walk away. So, do be aware of that. Okay, Always have, you know, savings, perhaps backup offers, right? Like that will give you way more confidence to stand your ground. I am curious for her though, why it was a surprise. Did she not even know what, I mean, we should all have a sense of what we're walking into, mm-hmm. uh, what the range is so that there is no surprise. Uh, so that would be first is perhaps like backing up and asking, um, what the salary, approximate salary would be. Then, when you go into negotiate, it's unless you are at a place where it's take it or leave it, I would really set this up as I did my market research, you know, really sort of like it's just about the numbers, it's not about emotion. This hold them accountable to being fair. I know you're a place that compensates fairly, I know you're a place that, you know, values uh, gender pay equity. Um, I you know I hope that I've made the case that I'm a top performer and so, you know, would be asking for top dollar. Uh just want to understand, you know, how you came up with this offer. So again, it's like asserting your value, contextualizing it in the market, which means it's sort of holding them accountable to that. It's setting them up to actually feel good because you're like, I know you're a place that pays fairly. And then it's turning it into a question because when you ask an open-ended question, it will further the conversation as opposed to asking a yes or no, take it or leave it situation. Um, And then if you, you know, you can always slow it down, you know, whatever their answer is. You can say, okay, this has been helpful. Um, I'd love to digest this. Do you mind if we set up another time to talk? You know, so don't feel like your back is up against the wall and you have to commit in the moment. And if they're putting pressure on you to do that, again, it's a warning sign that maybe this isn't, you know, why, why is it this way? And then you have to decide sort of cost benefit analysis. Maybe you take this offer with a lower paycheck because the company is offering other things that bring you value. And that means really steering the conversation into a direction of what's called full compensation. It means getting career development from them, then paying for their ga- your gas money or card if you're commuting, more, you know, vacation days, like there are things that they can give you that are not monetary, um, but you'll have to ask. So be prepared for that to begin with, you
0: know, so you're never caught off, you know, there should be
1: no surprises on both ends.
0: Mm, Yeah. So I really like what you said too, about the power of a negotiator is having the option to walk away. Like there is no real desperation there. It's like, yep, I'm going to be fine either way. Yeah. So how did you work to build up your confidence? Like what was there a arc for you of where you were like, yes, I feel really good in my skin with my voice. Like what was your confidence journey? Like, I guess.
1: I think um I love that you use the word voice because I think it was recognizing that I have a unique voice which we all do. I always say, you know, when people are suffering from imposter syndrome which I totally have and do frequently. You know, I say look at your thumb. Nobody has your thumbprint, okay? Mm-hmm. So recognizing, you know, when I started Ladies Get Paid, there were no other women's organizations that i felt were speaking in the way that i would speak i started with a hashtag fuck the wage gap okay so i was like this is my confidence is being able to understand that like i'm speaking in a way that others aren't speaking in so that you know that was starting there and then i'm just very well prepared you know i in the beginning you know i would be put on panels and looked at as a equal pay expert and i wasn't and this was not imposter syndrome i like I hadn't done enough research. The reason I was being asked to do it was because there wasn't a lot of people out there, you know, speaking to what I was speaking. So sort of like by default, right? But confidence was my voice, okay? So I knew I could communicate in a way that would resonate with people. But did I have the research, the data? Like, could I back things up? And it wasn't until I did a ton of research and then got, you know, comfortable hearing the sound of my own voice. Uh, So it's, it's preparation. You know, it's really, it's just putting in the work, just like know your shit and get up, but there. also know yeah. that there will always be things to learn. And there will always be people who know more than you. And that doesn't mean that you are not an expert. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't be confident. So it's sort of like, you know, you work hard and prepare, but you also just like, let it go too, you know, cause like this stuff's never ending. And that's when you do have to trust. Okay. The way that I communicate is different the way that I express my empathy is different. It's not just about who knows the most, right? Cause you could know a ton, but not be able to connect with people, you know? So I, I, it's back and forth between like my innate voice uh, and, and then doing the actual work in the race.
0: Mm, yeah. And I always think about like, if you are able to teach somebody what you were able, able to overcome, like in the last five years or a year, even like if you're able to show that you actually overcame it, like you have something to share that could really help somebody. And like I love what you said about like, look at your thumb. Like that's a very yeah. physical, tangible reminder. Like people are going to resonate with different voices and different teachers yeah. as well. So yes. you might be and perfect see, for somebody.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, and this is work that I've done more recently in really reflecting on what is my gift or what are my guests? Like Because I I mean, we all have a lot, but like, what is like, if I had to pick, right, true gift, and it was the, it's the gift of communication, right, and that can get expressed in different ways. Then it's like, all right, in my communication, where am I really special? And I think it's empathy. I think it's, you know, peer-to-peer learning, like, I'm in it with everybody. Like, I I didn't come out the womb an expert in this, like, so... Being able to be transparent in that, that is special, but that requires checking in with yourself, whether, you know, a consistent journaling practice, uh, but also, you know, every kind of quarter really thinking and being like, you know, who am I and what do I want to be and where do I need to cultivate So I think what I'm saying is therapy, building confidence, it's going to therapy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, yeah. I mean, therapy and in so many different ways can, like, meditation is like my therapy and, and going to meditation classes and reading and, like, talk there. I feel like I'm in a therapy class with a lot of the guests that come on here, too. Because, yeah. like, what do you, this is so helpful. Um, okay. This is kind of an interesting thought that I had come up is, was there a point where you had to get comfortable making more money? Like, were you ever, like, intimidated by making more money or scared of making more money? Like, and when did that change? Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Uh, so I had always been compensated fairly in my career.
1: It's interesting. My And I started Ladies Get Paid um, out of an anger around the wage gap. Um, the person who I have now made my co-founder and CEO, actually joined about a year into it. But she came to Ladies Get Paid because she had a huge wage gap at her job. So I just kind of want to throw that out there. Like I was actually pretty okay in my career. I just experienced a lot of sexism. Um, but what I've noticed is... Command asking for more always makes me nervous. It just does because I don't like being rejected. You know, that it sets yourself up for a no. Um, so it's, I, and you know, I still go through this, but what's interesting is I look back at times where I had thought I was asking for a really big number and I was, to be clear, right? We were negotiating with a brand for a partnership where I was negotiating, you know, a speaking fee. That number at the time was very big, but I look back and it's so small now, you know? So I call it it's my cute number. So now when I command, you know, when I'm like, this is the number I'm asking for, I sort of uh, project into the future and I am thinking about how I'll then look back and think that this new number is small. So it is all about perspective. Um, but yeah, I get nervous every time, totally.
0: Uh, and, you know, but you don't ask, you don't get and fuck it. (laughs) Yeah. And I love that you just mentioned, like it was rooted in fear of rejection. So getting comfortable, like it's, it's going to happen one way or the other. So it's going to be okay either way.
1: Yeah. And also that these numbers, you know, just remember it feels still like yesterday when I, you know, had just moved to New York and I had a like a, a panic attack at a grocery store seeing how much I was spending and you know, how much I was spending basically nothing. It was a bunch of like canned beans and tuna. Okay. But being so nervous about that money. So even asking for more, making more, I still get my heart. Every time I go to the grocery store, I'm still, I can still feel it. So I ended up actually this past year, I got a master's certificate in behavioral finance and financial psychology because, you know, sometimes it's not the numbers that matter. It's how you feel about it. And you can carry that stuff with you your whole life. Uh, even if rationally, you know, you know, I've seen this number before. I, you know, so it's, but it's ongoing because the goalpost keeps moving, but Sometimes, again, like, it still feels like it was yesterday being at that grocery store. Um, I I do wonder, you know, gosh, I've seen this meme before where it's like, you know, if raspberries can, you know, if they can charge $7 for raspberries, like, you can be your, you know, charge your raspberry or whatever. Um, And it does make me laugh because I, buying sushi and fresh fruit or fresh berries was my, man, when I make it, you know, when I'm rich, I'll be able to afford that. So for me, it's, I think a little bit less of like how much I'm making, but more like, can I spend this money and allowing myself to be, you know, to let go and be proud? Like, hell yeah, I am buying this and I'm going to be okay.
0: Yes. Are there any other like self-limiting beliefs or like money story blocks that you've been working through over the past years that have really helped you to overcome like nervousness around it? Yeah. I think, um, I was talking about this earlier
1: earlier uh i think num no, i have a, i was bad at math i'm like your typical like the statistic around girls like i think i actually wasn't bad at math i just didn't have confidence about it and like once nikki simmons made fun of me you know because i got a problem wrong you know in front of the class and like just decided i was bad at math and that unfortunately has bled into like i'm not good at money or like no, I'm not going to look at the numbers for our business, you know, just sort of ignorance is bliss, although it absolutely is not. So I think I'm constantly, you know, trying to push up against this assumption I have around, I am just not good at math. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, I think, pretty self-limiting. Um, and then I deal a lot with procrastination. So I'm sort of going, trying to figure out like, why is that? Because it, it is rooted in fear, I think, ultimately. So, but, it you know. Yeah. Things are getting better, but yeah. that's been a recent, recent where I like really been dragging my feet on stuff. Um, and I think it's because I've reached a certain level of success and exposure. And so now the stakes are just higher. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So it's like, almost like at the beginning when ladies get paid, it was easier. Right. Cause it's like only up from here kind of, kind of vibe. Exactly. Yeah. yeah it's very interesting that you bring up math. Cause I think you're definitely not alone there. And I have such a specific kind of like childhood programming. We had a very wealthy family as our close friends. They were all math whizzes, like <laughs> super, super good at math and um, just like very successful, very kind people. But it, it really programmed me into thinking very similarly into like, if I'm not good at math, I can never be rich. So I have to get good at math to, to be rich. And I like Got like a C in accounting in college, and had to take it again for my major. And I was like, I, "How am I ever going to do this? Like, I just don't get money." And then I was able to shift my experience around money to I now perceive it more as energy and just yeah. like, knowing your worth. And you know, someone else can handle the money if I want to. But it really helps now. I have a relationship with money where I like to look at it yeah. and I kind of like praise it. And I just had to consciously change that. But I'm, I'm sure we're not alone in that experience of like math and money. It's a big. Change. I know. I know. Yeah. So I'm also curious about your process of writing your book. Like what is writing a book like?
1: Uh, Really hard. Okay. The worst imposter syndrome and perfectionism I have ever experienced in my life, which was very ironic considering I literally had chapters uh, specifically about imposter syndrome and perfectionism, but why when you read it, it is written with a lot of empathy. So Let me just talk about how I was able to move past that for a second and then I can talk about kind of like the overall process. I was really getting paralyzed when I was thinking about how people were going to receive the book right was I going to get on a bestseller list was I going to be canceled what was my editor going to think right was I going to live up to the advance that I got. These were all real questions okay, but then I realized those things were out of my control, of course I was spinning my wheels right. So how can I take back the control? How can I take command? And it was really about who was I writing this for? Why was I writing this? Imagining I was writing a letter to a specific person who was reading my book, the impact I was going to have on her life. It was about trying to find joy in my writing. Could I write in the moment? And I realized, actually, I needed to change how I was doing it. So I just started to handwrite. Because there, I felt like I was letting go of perfectionism, you know, it was less intimidating to have a blank page that I was writing versus, you know, the blank screen. And it also felt closer to me and my thoughts, just like the physical experience of it, letting it out of my body and just writing and writing and writing and writing. Okay. So go back and forth between having an outline, free writing, you know, in the moment writing. Going back to the outline, I would then make index cards, you know, and move the index cards around. Um, But the book, you know, just to sort of explain the book for a second, it's very unique. So first of all, it gives advice for kind of the entirety of your career from the beginning of who am I, what do I want to do, and how, you know, the confidence to move in a direction of intention all the way through moving up at your company and then making change, right? Policy change can help all women. But here's the unique part. It is told through the stories of nine real women. Okay? And some of them come up multiple times. And that was a challenge. How can we have you know certain themes and people sort of pop up throughout, right? And each of these women, they are going through a professional challenge in that journey of a career. So it was an added level here um, where it wasn't just me writing advice. It was, here's this person's story inter Spurs uh, with now I'm giving you tangible advice based on this experience that this person had. It took a long time to find the right stories. I, I could have written multiple books based, you know, I interviewed so many women, so that also took a long time. This book was very delayed because of it. Uh, so really, just again going back and forth, layering the transcript of these interviews with advice that I was giving, and then looking overall, maybe this person needs to be moved to the fourth chapter. Or maybe this piece of this story should come back in the fourth chapter, but not totally. Um, So it was complicated. Uh, And I ended up doing most of my writing at a Starbucks in my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Found that, you know, after I organized all of it, I found that was a helpful place to just let it out. I think the energy of the room, you know, just feeling kind of the buzz and the caffeine buzz. Uh, and it was me and there were two other people who also were there every day writing. Then we all sort of just waved at each other.
0: (laughs) I love cafe culture. I have the same little cafe, like circuit that I do in Topanga. We all just work and it does make a huge difference to get into an environment that just like triggers something that like makes you work. It's fantastic.
1: There was also, um,
0: one of the people
1: who was there is a personal hero of mine. She doesn't know who I am, although we've waved at each other. Her name's Kara Swisher. So she's like huge with the New York times. She's a tech reporter. Um, um, and so, you know, just have her in
0: that space too. I was like, you know, one day I'll introduce myself. Wow. I mean, yeah, cool. I, that's very serendipitous and and just cool to have somebody that inspires you in the same yeah. room, just being like, okay, I can do this. Yeah.
1: Or I'm just really creepy. Cause I like <laughs> who she was, and I was just like a random person to her, but yeah, I was like, oh, we're both doing work at Starbucks. I like it.
0: Oh, I love that. Um, Who else has been inspiring you on your journey? Like, is there anybody else, like any books that you read as you were really getting into writing for yourself? Like who's been inspiring you?
1: Um, Well, definitely my co-founder and now wife, Ashley, huge, huge inspiration. She taught herself crypto over the pandemic Um, taught herself how to flip NFTs, made money off GameStop, like just went in. So we're a going to be debuting a ladies get crypto vertical. Um, so I'm very inspired by her just like learning something new and hard. It is diff. It is. Okay. This isn't just me being like quote bad at math. Like it is difficult, but I'm hugely inspired by her. Um, I love to read books about, um, like male spies, uh, war reporters like Carissa Ward. She's amazing. Um, Fiona Hill, um, you know, I, I was just reading a book and now I've completely blanked on the name, but of like this madam, you know, in like 1910 in New York city, you know, so just sort of stories of like really brave women who have, you know, self-created and, and there's like a level of intrigue and mystery. So that's kind of my, you know, of course I own all like the lady books, you know, in business books, but I'm, I'm really inspired by real life people who've been brave in their lives.
0: Oh, I love that you bring up your wife too, because the NFT, the crypto world is just a uh, wild west out here. It's like a gold rush and it is difficult. I'm launching a series, hopefully, um, in about two weeks. So oh, well, it's, we, should uh, we should talk about it. Yeah. It's going to be a Medusa series and based off of the goddess archetypes. And you would like this actually, because the Medusa story, um, she was a rape victim of Poseidon. And Medusa gets this horrible reputation for this monster, but she was in Athena's temple as one of the high priestesses. Athena was kind of like one of the boys in like the boys group, but she was supposed to be protecting the priestesses in the temple. Poseidon broke in one day, rapes Medusa, and then Athena punished Medusa for, for her own, um, you know, victimization and wow. to the underworld. So it's like a reclaiming of a story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Ooh, I love this. Yeah, it was. Just, so yeah, this will be kind of the goddess archetypes coming out in different stories, but anyways, <laughs> that's what's going on in the NFT world. Well, Claire, I'm, I'm just so grateful for you. I'm so excited for people to get to know your work. If people want to work with you more intimately or just get to know you better, how can we find you and connect with you?
1: yeah instagram great place to go if you want to dm me i do respond to every message i get uh so claire gets paid you can also follow ladies get paid so ladies get paid on instagram um come join ladiesgetpaidcom get join it's free to participate in our online network uh we've got a conference that's happening on may 24th virtual so you'll get information there also free and then if you want to learn more about me and my speaking and that I do, ClaireWasserman.com. But like I said, Instagram is probably the best place.
0: Beautiful. All right. We'll link all of that in the description below. Well, thank you so much, Claire. It was you're just so smart and just on it. And I'm so happy we got the chance to sit together. Thank you. All right, my friends. Thank you so much for being here and hanging out with us today. I hope you're feeling inspired and lifted and called to action in some area of your life. And of course, everything we chatted about is linked in the description below. A couple more things on my end. If you are curious about cultivating a meditation practice or continuing an existing one, I'm teaching meditation a few times a week with Unplug, The Den, and B Meditation. If you go to helendenham.com slash meditate, you'll find uh, my schedule and links to sign up for all these meditations. There are also a couple free meditations every month with B Meditation, so keep an eye out for that. I also am very active on Instagram at Helen Denham underscore yay. And on my website, you'll also find links to lots of amazing blog posts. We've got more Q&A interviews coming up on the blog. And of course, you'll find my self-mastery course, Cultivating Confidence, is available there. And I also have a one-on-one mentorship seven-week series that's available for you if you want to apply for that. And just keep an eye out for more to come. So sending you so much love, blessings, have a beautiful rest of your day or your evening, wherever you are. Thank you again. And I'll talk to you soon. salad also